All right, so uh, tonight, um, last week, we finished our study of 1 John. It's a good thing you wrote two more epistles, isn't it? So we moved to 2 John, or 2 John, as many people would say, uh, the second epistle of John. And so let's read, uh, unlike the first, which is five chapters long, there's only 13 verses in the second epistle of John and only 14 verses in the third epistle of John. And uh, we will be considering some things from both first, second, and third John this evening. And we will uh, go ahead and read the entirety of the chapter, um, being it's only 13 verses, and then we'll as I normally would, will, would do uh, tonight as well. We'll, we'll have an overview of the book, or of the epistle, and then, uh, Lord willing, next week, dive into it uh, in, in more detail. So we begin in verse 1 of uh, the second epistle of John. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever... Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this love, this is love, that we walk after his commandments, this is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son." If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to, you, I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. As I mentioned a moment ago, as it is normally my practice to do when opening a new study into any book of Scripture. Uh, I want to, again, tonight provide you with an overview of the second epistle written by John. Having just completed our study of John's first epistle on last week, it is, it is easy for us to see how the second epistle relates to John's first epistle, and hopefully you have even recognized some of the familiarity of the writing as we read through the entirety of the epistle, just a short, brief uh, 13 verses of this second epistle. And the second epistle of John is, is very similar in content to that of his first epistle as well, although much, it is much more concise. So obviously it's not nearly in the same length uh, as his first epistle, obviously. And while the message in the second epistle, second epistle is just as clear as John's first epistle, the content will not be as appreciated if one were only to read the second epistle without having read or studied the preceding epistle, which John had written. And while these two epistles are very similar, the second is more than a letter of repetition alone. So, the, so although, as I mentioned, the second epistle bears tremendous similarity to the first epistle, although being much more concise, it is not merely John repeating himself, even though there is similarity and there are some, some statements that are made that which were already made in the previous epistle. Uh, 
And, and so we see within this second epistle, John addresses not only the compassion and love, but also he emphasizes their interdependence. In other words, within this context of, of the context in which John writes this second epistle, that love and truth, or truth and love, are not enemies, they are not competitors, nor are they dependent one from the other. And we see this in verses 1 through 3 and then verse 6. He says again in verse 1, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And then look at verse 6. And this is love, that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. So we see here that he mentions, of course, in the first three verses of this letter of truth. And he says, I, I, I'm writing elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. Not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Then notice verse 2. For truth's sake. Now, what is he saying when he says for truth's sake? And we'll dig into more of this in the future, I'm sure. But yet, he says for truth's sake. Now, he's talking about, he's making his address to the recipients to whom he writes. And he says to them, or to her and her children, and we'll deal with that as well. But he says that I, who I love, to, this, to these recipients whom I love in the truth. And then he goes on to say, for truth's sake. So John is showing us here that truth and love, love and truth, are, are not interdependent. Or, I mean, they are interdependent. They are not dependent. In other words, they, they are reliant one upon the other. He says that he loves this, these recipients in the truth, but then he says for truth's sake. That he loves them. So these are not dependent one of the other. And many times I'm afraid that people view it as such, and I've said this to you before, that uh, we live in a, in a day in which it seems as though you have one of two camps, if you will, uh, in which people uh, reside, and that is they either will compromise truth in the name of so-called love, or they totally neglect love in the name of truth, in other words, you can have both love and truth, and if you have truth, you will have love. And if you have biblical, genuine love from fellowship with God and His Son, then you will also be in truth, and that love will be demonstrated. And so John is making this point here, and he emphasizes this quite, quite clearly if you pay attention to what he's actually been saying, even as we've read the epistle this evening. It is also within this epistle, the second epistle, that John provides a warning concerning the acceptance of false doctrine, specifically concerning anything contrary to that which he has written concerning the person and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. In verse 9 he says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Now again, you have to understand what the word doctrine means. What does doctrine mean? Teaching. So he says the teaching of Christ. And if a man is not abiding in the teaching of Christ, didn't Jesus make the same statement in John 15? If you recall with me, he said, 
that my father's a husbandman, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he's talking to Jews here. And he says, if any man abide in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. But he that abideth not is cast off like a branch and is burned. Recall that? And this is what John is saying here. If a man abides, what does abide mean? It means to remain or continue. So if a man continues in the teaching of Christ, then he has both the Son and the Father. But if he does not abide in the teaching of Christ, doctrine here meaning that, then he does not have God whatsoever. Now, we've already seen John clearly detail this in the first epistle. John then further declares that if one entertains those who propagate teaching contrary to Jesus or Christ, he is guilty of such false teaching by association. In other words, there is no room for those who reject Jesus as the Christ in the lives of those who follow Christ. Notice 11. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, meaning the teaching of Christ, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. You're not even to bless him on his way, is what John is saying here. For he that abideth, or he that biddeth him Godspeed, is partaker of his evil deeds. So here John is saying, you know, and again, here, here you have this, this supposed conflict of truth and love, which John is dispelling actually in the epistle, but you have this conflict that exists. So watch, oh, well, well, somebody, well, you know, they're not proclaiming Christ or they're not teaching the truth of Christ and they're teaching something else, you know, and, and, and yet, you know, but we want to show them the love of Jesus, so we, we want to be kind to them and wish them well. No, we don't. Yes, we want to show the love of Christ, of course, but love does not supersede truth. And so here John is saying, if someone comes to you now, now look, this is not talking about secondary and tertiary differences that may exist. That is not. John is talking about the teaching of Christ. And John has laid out the teaching of Christ in the previous epistle. If you recall, he has mentioned that there are those who say that Jesus is not the Son of God, that he did not cut the Messiah did not come in the flesh, that Jesus is not the Christ. This is Antichrist. He's not talking about uh, the, the secondary and peripheral issues in which we may disagree or believers may disagree. That is not what's being talked about here. What he is talking about is a rejection of the truth of who Christ is, the, the witness of the Spirit of God bearing witness of the truth of who Christ is, the declaration of the Word of God concerning who Christ is, and Christ claims himself. So he's saying if a man comes, so if there is a, let, let me say it to you like this. Just because someone doesn't view soteriology the same way you do, that does not make them of the devil. And just because someone doesn't view eschatology the way that you do, that does not make them of the devil. And just because someone does not even view in the same exact manner ecclesiology as you do, that does not make them of the devil. But if there is one who comes and says that Jesus is a God, or if one who comes and says Jesus is just a prophet from God, and a servant of God. Are you following now? That is the one which we do not bless in any way. And to bless that one is to partake in their evil deeds. And teaching is what John is saying. So understand, we'll deal with this more as we get there eventually, but the reality is we must recognize that he's not saying that we don't show the love of Christ 
to those who are without Christ, but he's saying we do not associate, nor do we affiliate, nor do we partake, nor do we say to others, oh, God bless you and let me help you on your way as you propagate a false gospel, a false narrative, as you go out and propagate lies to people that are susceptible to embracing and receiving lies. Why would we want to be a part in that? But yet there is no conflict between love and truth here. And let me show you why that's so. Because if we genuinely love someone, we will speak the truth to them. So actually, this is not a conflict. Now, this may be what would be considered a conflict between truth and what's socially, or socially acceptable. It may be a conflict between truth and, and uh, southern hospitality. <laughs> but it is not a conflict between truth and love as biblically defined. And so it's important that we acknowledge this and recognize this. While the second epistle does bear tremendous similarity with the truths John emphasized in great detail within the first epistle, and even summarized in the conclusion of his first epistle, as we studied through chapter 5 specifically of 1 John, it has been said that that second and third John are twin epistles. The introduction of both epistles are similar, as are both conclusions of 2nd and 3rd John. And what's more is that both epistles emphasize love and truth, and both also speak of the joy of knowing that fellow believers are living in truth, or walking in truth. So look at 2nd John, verses 1-4. Let's read them in comparison to 3rd John, verses 1-4. 2nd John, 1-4. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I received greatly, I'm sorry, I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Now look at 3 John verses 1 through 4. The elder unto the well beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. These are very similar. What John is saying is very similar. Now, it's to a different audience. It actually is. But yet, the truth here stated is is very similar. The terminology is very similar. The content is very similar. And again, I would say that you'll find in both 2nd and 3rd John that in, in some of these areas of both epistles that they very much so are repeating what John has already stated in greater detail within the first epistle, which again is to a different audience, per se, by large. So now that I've shown you the familiarity or similarity, I'm sorry, with the introduction, let's look at the similarity similarity in the manner in which John concludes both the second and third epistle. 2 John, verses 12 and 13. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. Now look at 3 John, verses 13 and 14. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet thy friends by name. Here John concludes both 2nd and 3rd John in a very similar manner. So now that I've introduced the 2nd epistle of John to you just in this brief manner, uh, specifically 
and how it relates to John's first epistle, I want to begin now our overview of the epistle by considering some of the general observations uh, within this epistle or concerning this epistle. First, let's consider the author of Second John, of the second epistle of John. Now, although the author of this epistle does not identify himself within this letter, as is also the case in the first and third epistle named after John, the evidence overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly points to John the Beloved as the writer of the epistle. We see this for at least two reasons, if not more. First, the name of this epistle, along with the previous and following epistles, or epistle, serves as a good indicator that John is the writer of the book. It, it is not exceptionally uncommon for a book to be named after its author, even if the author does not identify himself within the book he has written. I pointed out in our overview of 1 John that such is the case with the book of Jonah. Jonah does not identify as the writer of the book of Jonah, yet it is commonly believed and accepted that Jonah wrote the book. Further example would be the Pentateuch itself or the first five books of Scripture. We know that Moses is, is to be the writer of the Pentateuch or the first five books of Scripture, but yet as Moses wrote when he referenced himself within his writing, he did so in the third person. You don't find Moses ever in the Pentateuch saying I or me. It's always Moses or he. And so he wrote of himself in the third person, never identifying himself as though he's the writer of the book. Second, the Gospel of John, whose authorship is attributed to John the Beloved, has many similarities to the first epistle of John, as we see in the first chapter and the first verses of the first chapter of John the Gospel and the first epistle of John. And the second epistle of John bears uncanny resemblance to the first epistle of John, even as we've read the tonight and, and somewhat provided you an understanding of this. Now also, we must recognize that neither the gospel of John nor the first, second, or third epistle of John names the author. So John does not name himself in the gospel of John, and John does not name himself in the first, second, or third epistle of John, yet it is historically accepted and recognized that John is the writer of the epistles and of the gospel. Second, let's consider the recipients to whom the epistle was written. While 1 John is referred to as a general epistle, which means that it was written not to a specific person nor to a specific church, at least not identified to be as such, it is considered to be an epistle that is written to all the churches of that time. And of course, as we recognize it, it's one that is provided for our benefit as it has been preserved as Holy Writ. And so we benefit from this as a 21st century church without question. But yet John was not writing to a 21st century church. John was writing to a 1st century church. And so the first epistle of John, as we concluded in our introduction and overview months back in our study of 1 John, we saw that it is a, what is referred to commonly as a general epistle. So it's one, again, that is written to churches as a whole, not to a specific church, not to a specific audience, not to a specific individual or person. However, the second epistle of John is not believed to have been written to a general audience. This belief is rooted in the introduction of the epistle itself. Second John, and look at verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Now, 
While John does not name an individual specifically as he does in naming Gaius within his third epistle, which we read a moment ago in the introduction, John does address either a specific person or a specific church within this second epistle. Now, the final verse of this epistle also raises some questions as to whether John has written this epistle to an individual church or to a church, I'm sorry, to an individual or to an individual church body. In 2 John, verse 13, he says, The children of thy elect sister greet thee, amen. Now, this elect sister could refer to the actual sister of a specific lady to whom John has written, or this elect sister could refer to a sister church or a sister body of believers. But either way, the recipients of this letter would have known exactly of whom John spoke. So though we are not given clarity to this, now we know this. We know the third epistle is written to whom? Gaius. Now, we don't know who Gaius is exactly, and Scripture does reference Gaius more than in this particular text. Is it the same Gaius? Well, that has to be discovered, does it not? But yet, it is Gaius, and we know that there was a man named Gaius to whom John wrote. But in second, the second epistle, we do not see that. In the first epistle, we see even less specificity. <laughs> because in the first epistle, John says... He is writing, he, the only recipients that are named is in chapter 2, verse 1, when he says, my little children. And so we have my little children in chapter 2, verse 1 of first. We have the elect lady and her children in chapter or in, in 2 John, verse 1. And we have Gaius in 3 John, and verse 1. So it moved, if you will, from a broad audience to the whole of the churches that were in the first century to what I believe possibly to be a specific church or even a specific individual unnamed and her children and then moves to an individual who is named Gaius in the third epistle. And again, whether... This is a person, an individual, a lady specifically to whom John has written this, or whether it is to a church to whom John has written this letter. Those within the first century would have recognized and known who this letter was written to. Also, it's not uncommon for a biblical writer to refer to the church using a feminine gender noun or pronoun. And we find an example of this when Paul refers to the church as a bride, or a chaste virgin espoused to Christ. And so we recognize that it's not uncommon for the church to, be, uh, to take on the uh, feminine gender in the grammar that is used in referencing the body of Christ or the church. Because, of course, we know Christ himself is the bridegroom. We are espoused to be the bride. Which, of course, takes on a feminine gender in its, in its grammatical use. And so the fact that John says to the elect lady does not necessarily mean it's to a specific woman to whom he wrote. It could very well be he's writing to a church body, but it's not written in a general sense because now he's talking to a specific group, a specific body of believers, if that be the case. 
So while there is an argument as to whether or not John is referring to a specific individual within this epistle, or John is speaking to a specific congregation or local church, here's what's beautiful about the letter. Regardless, it really doesn't matter. And the reason it really doesn't matter is because we can understand the teaching to be the same nonetheless. And so while there's debate on this matter, no one actually knows for certain, and it really is irrelevant to the teaching that is given. Third, let's consider the date or time the epistle was written. Now, again, we do not have an exact marker of time by which to date this epistle. However, it is believed that the first and second epistles of John were penned around the same time of each other, near the same time at least. And it is also believed that the date of the writing of this epistle ranges somewhere between 71 and 10 AD. Now, that's a broad range, of course. And, and some have narrowed it down even more so to even like a five or ten year period of time or fifteen year period of time possibly. But yet, regardless, we know that the first epistle, we believe, absolutely is, is written in the, the latter years of John's life. And of course, this is when John, he, he of course, as you know, the eldest of the apostles in terms of the, the, the longest to live. And in that matter of time, John is dealing with a people that uh, are not influenced by a number of apostles, but really he's the last one standing, so to speak. And so John is dealing with issues in the latter part of the first century uh, that are, of course, uh, are of that century, that first period, century of time after the resurrection. That there is, of course, this, this Gnosticism that exists, and there is as well, of course, this uh, rejection of Christ having actually come in the flesh. And the things that, that some of these people never literally saw in the flesh or in their, with their visible, physical eyes, now they are refuting, saying, well, that's just not true, based on the fact that they haven't seen this. But again, that's why John began his first epistle in the manner he did. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have handled, that which we have looked upon with our eyes, of the very word of life, John says, you may have not been involved in the ministry of Jesus, you may have not heard his teaching, you may have not seen him and his miracles and his resurrection, but I did. And so John reminds them, yeah, you can refute this based on what you've not seen, but I can testify of the truth based upon that which I did see, which I did behold, which I did handle, which I did experience, which I did hear of the very word of life. Key words in this epistle. What do you think one of the key words would be in this epistle? Absolutely. Truth is key. He begins dealing with truth. And truth is actually mentioned five times in these 13 verses. Look at verses 1 through 4. The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. For I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. The first four verses, five times, John emphasizes truth. What's another key word you think might be in this letter? Love. Love is found four times in these 13 verses. Verse 1, The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Now, 
Notice there's also an implied mention of love here because he says not only that I love, but notice what he said. I love in the truth, and not I only love in the truth, but also all they that have known the truth love thee in the truth. So really there's an implied love mentioned here two or three times additionally to as it is once named. But then number two, verse three. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Verse 5. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Verse 6. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Now I said earlier... If you notice this, it's very interesting, and this has to do honestly with the overall theme of the epistle. John's epistle focuses, his first epistle focuses on fellowship with God and fellowship with one another because of Jesus Christ and whether or not one's professed fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ is authentic. And we've studied that extensively over the past months through our study of 1 John. Yet John's second epistle focuses on maintaining the purity of this fellowship by valuing this fellowship and valuing the means by which such fellowship is realized and or experienced. Now, we see that in what John warned concerning false doctrine, false teaching concerning Christ, and also concerning the teaching of Christ itself. Because he says, if you recall with me, as we read a moment ago, in Verse 10. Let's go to verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, the teaching of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, or teaching of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, teaching of Christ, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. So here John is saying, wait, we have fellowship with the Father. He's already dealt with that in fellowship with the Son. And we have both, the God, the, both God the Father and God the Son because we are abiding in the teaching of Christ. We, he is our life. He is the source of our life. We have fellowship with him. And if anyone comes along and says anything other than Jesus is the Christ and teaches you apart from what Christ has taught and what I have taught you that Christ has taught, John then says, Do not bid him Godspeed. Do not bless his journey. Do not partake. Do not receive him into your house. Do not sit and listen to his blasphemy and heresy. What is John saying here? Here's what he's saying. Value. Value. Maintain the fellowship that you have with God the Father, with the Lord Jesus Christ, with one another in the fellowship you have with Christ Maintain that fellowship by valuing he that provides this fellowship and the teaching by which this fellowship is realized and maintained. In other words, as soon as someone teaches you contrary to Christ, you are breaking fellowship with God. You are hindering the fellowship you have with him and the fellowship you have with other believers by even entertaining one who would speak against the truth of Christ. That does not mean we cannot refute false teaching. It's talking about attempting 
to share in a fellowship that does not exist. John explains that this fellowship is in truth and love, and that's what we're seeing. As I previously mentioned, truth and love are not only compatible, but also are interdependent, meaning they do not, they're not existing apart from one another. Look again at verses 1 through 3 and then verse 6 once again. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you. Mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And, verse 6, and this is love, that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. But let me ask you something. When he says, this is love, what is John saying? He's saying love as it is defined biblically within this context is that we are walking in His commandments. But let me ask you, what are His commandments? I don't mean actually, yes, you're right, that we are to love the Lord our God and love one another as He has loved us. That is true. But when He says walk in His commandments, what, is, what are His commandments? Truth. His commandments are truth. So what John is saying is, this is love. Walk in truth. So John equates walking in truth to love and love to walking in truth. So these are not only compatible, they are interdependent. Because you can claim you love and yet, what does God say? First John tells us, you can claim to be in fellowship with God, you can claim to love the Lord, you can claim to walk in light, and yet if you walk in, and yet you walk in darkness, the truth is not in you. You are not walking and living in the truth. Does John not tell us those things? You're a liar. The truth is not in you. And so here John is saying, this is love that you walk in truth. So again, these are not only compatible but they are interdependent. So the idea that today, again, we live, it seems as though people are in one of two camps or one of two extremes, if you will. And it's people saying, okay, well, uh, uh, you know, um, we're going we're gonna to just love people. And we're going to compromise truth because we need to just demonstrate God's love. And then you have the other side that says, I don't love anybody. I just stand and love truth and that's it. Right? And as though, these, as though you have this option of this or this. And John's saying no. In fact, Paul dealt with this too. And Paul, look, Paul was a very bold man in his speech. Paul, Paul did not mix words. But yet, what does Paul teach us? That we are, he said, but speaking the truth in love. So John, or Paul as well says, speaking the truth and love, and what he's saying is that it's not truth or love. It's not love or truth. It is truth in love. And this is love that we walk in truth. Now, this is our love for God being demonstrated as we walk in truth. But let me say this to you as well. It is also our love for the Lord as demonstrated one to another 
when we speak God's truth. So truth and love, love and truth, these are not enemies. These are not combative. The, these two elements are not, our realities are, are not in conflict and in opposition one to another. We, we tend to make them to be, but they're not. Paul explains that to us. John explains that to us. And he will emphasize that further as we see throughout the, the epistle. This second epistle, although short, in, in its length of writing, is still extremely powerful in its message. And we'll begin to dig and delve into the depths of these truths of this epistle as we begin introduction into our study of this epistle next week, as the Lord wills. So let's consider Second John. I encourage you to read it. Read through. I mean, it's a thirteen verses. You can read that. I think. I would encourage you, challenge you to to charge you to read through the second epistle of John as well, the third epistle for that matter, and begin to understand the emphasis John is making concerning love and truth. And again, chapter or the third epistle as well will deal much with this, as in both, as I pointed out already, in both for second and third epistle here, John emphasizes the joy that is brought from knowing that his children walk in truth. He says that in chapter, or in third John, and also mentions the children of the elect lady who are, some of them are walking in truth, and he says how that, that causes him to rejoice. This is so. And so John is writing saying, you need to understand that love and truth are interdependent. They are not enemies. They are not combative. They are not in opposition. But love and truth are in agreement. And we need to recognize that as John points out throughout this epistle. 